just so we don't bury the lead here, this show isn't new. This used to be a Patreon exclusive that I released way back in January. And these lovely patrons have been hoarding it that entire time because they've earned that privilege. They get to do that. But after half a year of exclusivity, I am releasing this episode to the wider masses. So, patrons, you can safely punch out now if you so desire. You are far too avant-garde for a re-release. This is for everyone else. The reason I'm putting this show out now to the broader masses is twofold, although not in equal measure. This is the Pareto Principle in action, and you can look up the Pareto Principle on your own. The small reason I'm putting this out now is that so that you might sample my wares. As some of you love pointing out to me all the time, I push my Patreon page with every show. Which, I mean, fuck me, right? I've got this crazy thing about paying my bills and continuing to eat and live. Aren't I a capitalist pig dog, right? But a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do, and that's why I push the Patreon. So if you're on the fence about the whole Patreon thing, you deserve to know what kind of product you're going to be getting. And I like to think that it's good product. It's my export quality stuff. I look after the people who feed me. So consider this a bit of a try before you buy. This show is the sample show. It's the sausage on a toothpick. That's 20% of the reason that I'm putting this out. The other 80% of the reason I'm putting this out now is because I was listening back to this particular show trying to find a clip to reuse, and I realized while listening to it that I was in the fucking zone for this one. I was just on a streak. I knocked it straight out of the goddamn park. I must have been hyper-caffeinated, or someone sprinkled some meth on my coffee or something, because this is one of the most performative shows I've ever done on History Go Time. Like, this is heading into stand-up territory. I do multiple act-outs, I do at least three accent bits. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'm very proud of it, and I would like everyone to listen to it. I know I'm starting to sound a bit like Kanye here, but seriously, give it a bit of a listen, and tell me I'm not wrong. Here, try it. Alright, it's been a while since I've done one of these. Who wants to know why things be like they do? It's history go time. So when I'm eating dinner, what I'll usually do is put on a YouTube video to watch while I eat. I don't want to commit to a full show, and a YouTube is the perfect, pardon the pun, bite-sized media to consume while I consume. And one of my go-to YouTube channels is that of Adam Savage over on Tested. If that name seems familiar, it's because Adam Savage is a former member of ILM Studios who worked on the Star Wars prequels before becoming 20% of a little show called Mythbusters. Who are the Mythbusters? Adam Savage. I'm done with science for today. Mythbusters is great. We all love Mythbusters. Mythbusters is awesome. But Adam's YouTube channel, it isn't the bombastic joy that is Mythbusters. His solo channel is the equivalent of lo-fi beats to study to. Because it's just Adam Savage in his workshop building cool shit. Adam Savage sits there in his workshop and he builds 
awesome things like a replica Blade Runner gun or Wily Post's spacesuit or all kinds of robots, and we all marvel at the miracle of creation. It's a fun channel, and if you're into that kind of thing, go and check it out. It's awesome. But here's the rub. As much as I love Adam's content and the things that he creates, and as much as he's an intelligent, insightful, creative person who is clearly gifted at bringing concepts to life, there's something he does that irks me. Adam Savage is American. Hey everybody, Adam Savage here in my cave. That involves some of my metrology equipment. Is that the way to say it? Metrology? Metrological? Probably. And that means that, unlike 99% of the rest of the world, he measures things in imperial units. And nobody should ever, ever measure things in imperial units. Because imperial is dumb. I'll watch him build, I don't know, a Totoro costume for Comic-Con, and he'll measure something, and he'll get out his tape measure, and he'll measure the length, and he'll look at the camera and say, with an absolute straight face, yeah, that looks to be almost exactly three-eighths of an inch. Almost exactly three-eighths of an inch. You can't have almost and exactly in the same sentence. Doesn't work. We're off to a bad start. And he can't even reduce his fraction. He's stuck at eighths. He can't even go to quarters because the stupid freedom units won't let him. And it's a shame that things have to be this way. If only there were a way to measure things that was, I don't know, precise. Oh, woe is mankind that we are cursed with such imprecise measurements. Oh, if only there were another way. If only there were a system of measurement that used standardized distances based on universal constants instead of arbitrary holdovers from the Dark Ages based upon one king's reckoning of the size of a barleycorn. Oh, if only there was some other way. Oh wait, there is the metric system. The metric system is the tool of the devil. My car gets 40 rods to the hog's head and that's the way I like it. But first, here's a bit of history on the imperial system of measurements, and a carefully researched and measured argument for why they're stupid. The old person's remarks will be stricken from the record. And basically, it's the fault of the Normans. The standard imperial measurement is the inch. An inch is exactly three barley corns side by side. That's an inch. Why three barley corns? Why not four, or two, or ten? Shut up, that's why. Three. No more, no less. That's an inch. Three barley corns. You can blame King Edward II for that. He was the one that decided that an inch was to be exactly the length of three corns of barley, dried and rounded, because we're trying to be scientific here, placed end to end, lengthways, constitutes an inch. We can thank him for most of this imperial nonsense. And a trademark aside here, the way King Edward II died may be some form of karmic justice for forcing me to deal with imperial units. There's no real consensus on his death, it's listed in the histories as, quote, natural causes, but nobody really believes this because there was a whole bunch of Game of Thrones shenanigans going on in this period. So Edward II was probably poisoned. But if you want the hottest of hot takes, 
then Edward II died when his wife, Isabella the she-wolf of France, and her lover, Roger Mortimer, a rebel noble with a track record of cutting people's dicks off, sodomized Edward II with a hot poker, burning him to death from the inside out. Unlikely, but we can't categorically rule it out either. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win, or you die. Anyway, back to inches. One-sixth of an inch, I don't know why we're so terrified of decimals, but basics is better on paper, so let's roll with it. One-sixth of an inch is a pika. One-twelfth of a pika is a point. One-twentieth of a point, hey, we're getting closer to decimals here. One-twentieth of a point is a twip. Yes, that's actually a thing. One-twentieth of a point is a twip. 120 twips, or six points, is a line. A line is the same length as a poppy seed, because why not? And apparently four lines, or four poppy seeds, is the equivalent of three barley corns, which, if you'll recall, is an inch. If you stop to question the logic, the king will pencil you in for an appointment with the hangman, so you'd best be measuring things with barley corns or poppy seeds. I just imagine some medieval noble bursting into the palace. My liege! We require a standardized system of measurement. Your orders, my king? Line me up some seeds! I'm going in! So if you take 12 of these inch things, so 36 barley corns or 48 poppy seeds, put them side by side, you get a foot. Why 12 inches? Why not 10? Or 6? Or 8? Or 42? Or 97? Why 12? Shut up! That's why. And why is it called a foot? Because it was the length of someone's foot once upon a time. That's how you get a foot. Who was this person and why did they have such big feet? We will never know. Perhaps they roam the Algonquin forests to this day, posing in blurry, out-of-focus photos and befriending John Lithgow. Who knows? And yes, a foot is a big measurement for feet. I'm a size 10 and a half. I have big feet for my height. People call me a hobbit. And if my feet only come to 27 centimeters, then this person in the Middle Ages had fucking whoppers. King Henry I of England, the first English-born Norman king, attempted to standardize the foot as a measurement, since each country in Europe had their own idea of what a foot was. And Henry said that the standard size of a foot was the size of the foot of whoever was measuring anything at any given time. So a foot was just your foot. So thanks for clearing that up, Henry. And another trademark aside, Henry I, first English-born Norman king, had form for not being good with measurements. Henry I died of food poisoning after the royal physician had told him that he was eating too many eels. Please, I am not a killer. I am but a humble purveyor of disgusting British food. <laughs> Lark tongues, head pudding, eel pies. Eel pie? My favorite. Mm. <laughs> we British sure eat crap. And Henry I said... Fuck you, I'm the king, I can eat as many eels as I want. And it turned out that there is, in fact, an upper limit as to the amount of eels a person can eat in one sitting, and Henry I went well over and beyond that limit. Personally, I think the limit for eating eels is anything above zero, 
but it's nice to know that there is a hard ceiling there. Oh, yeah, there's cheese in my eel pie. So you get feet. Three of these feet, whatever you call a foot, that's a yard. Why three? Why not two or four or ten? Anyone care to guess? That's a bingo! Fuck you. That's why. It's three. Three feet for a yard. Anyone who questions me gets their head cut off. Next item of business. That's if you're English, of course. Two and a half feet was a Roman gratis. And if you were Welsh, it was still a foot, but you used different barley corns to measure your inches, so a Welsh foot was different to a Norman foot, and they didn't call it a foot, they called it a pace because Welsh. I hope nobody is getting lost here. It's all rather simple, right? A foot is a foot. It's a standard measurement based on whether the person measuring it was English, Welsh, or Italian, or Portuguese, or Spanish, and the size and configuration of their barley corns. It's all elementary, right? So why is three feet a yard? Well, there was an Anglo-Saxon king just before William did all of his conquering by the name of Edgar the Peaceful. And you can kind of see why the Anglo-Saxons got booted by the Normans when you compare Edgar the Peaceful with William the Conqueror. That's like having two armies, one led by Simon the please don't hit me and Ivan the slit your throat and fuck the wound. One of those guys is the Vegas odds favorite. So anyway, Edgar the Peaceful decided that there should be a standard measurement for a yard, and he decided that it should be based on his yard, specifically the grounds of his castle at Winchester. So he went and walked the grounds one day, arbitrarily pointed at one spot, and the distance from that spot to another arbitrary spot that he pointed at was the motherfucking law. That's a yard. Anyone who questions me dies. Hooray for monarchies! Now, if you take 1,760 yards, you get a mile. That is, of course, a statute mile, not a nautical mile. That would be silly. A nautical mile is 2,025 yards, up from the land-based 1,760 yards, because distances are just longer when you're at sea. It's all elementary. I kid, I kid. I'll circle back to the nautical mile because it's not actually stupid like the rest of these. It's the only imperial measurement that makes sense. So back to the land-based mile, or statute mile. Holy shit, is this thing crazy. A mile, as previously stipulated, is 1,760 yards. Is it based on any sort of scientific method? Fuck no, of course not. Originally, the mile was a Roman measurement. It comes from the Latin millipassus, or thousand paces. So a mile was a thousand paces long. And Roman miles used to be demarcated by the Roman legions as they went conquering. And you should all know by now that the Roman legions did a lot of conquering, especially if we include the pre-Marian reforms. So that's a lot of the world mapped out by Roman miles. And what would happen is that the Roman legions would be marching along, and every thousand paces they took, someone would put a stick in the ground to mark Emilius Passus, or mile. But the thing is, a pace is heavily dependent on the person walking it. For instance, height is a major factor in pacing. A taller person has a longer stride and will take less paces in the same distance as a shorter person. But then there are the other factors that you may not have thought about. What about the condition of the person walking it? 
If the measurements were all made by Roman soldiers, then there are a lot of variables in play. How long has that soldier been on campaign? How far are they from home? Have they just fought a battle? Are they on their way to fight a battle? Are they retreating? Are they adequately fed? Or are they on emergency rations? Are they marching or are they force marching? Are they pacing around sunny Tunisia or the icy forests of Germania? All of these things are going to influence the distance of a pace. And that's why even today you can go and look at these Roman road measurements and see that a mile in Italy is a lot longer than the miles you find across the Rhine after the Romans had just had their asses kicked by the Teutons. I will briefly mention that the Romans did attempt to standardize this, specifically through the work of Agrippa, and they developed some truly amazing tools for surveying, but this was in 29 BCE, so that was well after most of the damage was already done. The origins of the mile, as we know it today, come from our old mate Henry I again, the eel guy. So obviously I'm being incredibly reductivist with this, there's a lot more nuance in play, but it's not incorrect for me to say that Henry I came along and said, all right, listen up, peasants. Here's your system of measurement. We're taking the Roman mile. Before you say anything, I know it varies. So here's the deal. An official mile is the length of my arm. That's right, my arm, 1,760 times. That is now the law. Shut the fuck up. I'm appointed by God. I will kill anyone who questions me. Do we all like the new measurements? I thought so. Little known fact is that Henry I of England was actually Michael Caine. Not many people know that. And not entirely because of this, but in no small part as a consequence of this, in about a century from then, everyone will get sick of this kingly bullshit, and Magna Carta happens. Trademark aside! It's Magna Carta, not THE Magna Carta. Latin doesn't have a definite article for THE, so it's just Magna Carta. It means Great Charter. It isn't technically incorrect to say the Magna Carta, but it's kind of like saying you're getting lunch from the Burger King. It isn't wrong, but it's unnecessary and weird. So that's how you get the mile. And that's why the Proclaimers could have ended up anywhere from Stockholm to Budapest to Lisbon. Yes, you're walking 500 miles, but what flavor of miles are you walking, you inscrutable Scotsman? So you've got your mile, based on King Henry I's arm. It's 1,760 yards long. 1,760 is divisible by 8. Normally, this would be an interesting little mathematical coincidence and nothing more, but we're dealing with imperial measurements here, so of course it's going to get funky. We can divide a mile into 8, so you'd best believe we're going to be dividing the mile into 8. One eighth of a mile is a furlong. And I'd like to think that at some point there's an alternate history where Eminem starred in a film called Furlong. What happened was that someone looked at a mile and realized that one eighth of that was pretty much the distance that two oxen could drag a heavy plow to till a field of barley to grow the unit that we use for our other crazy measurements. And that's how we get a furlong. A furlong is one-eighth of a mile. 
Furlong is Middle English for the length of a furrow or tilled field. If something is a furrow long, it's a furlong. You know how English gets truncated. Then, in the year of 1620, an English clergyman by the name of Edward Gunter was wondering how to divide a furlong even more. And he realized that the length of chain that he had in his shed was exactly one-tenth of a furlong. He could take this chain and ten of those would equal an exact furlong. So he made a measurement known as Gunter's chain. That's an actual unit of measurement that exists. Gunter's chain. Back in the day, you could just take shit out of your backyard and call that an official measurement. Oi, how long do you want this field? Ah, make it 16 abandoned exercise bikes wide and 9 boogie boards long, sir. So, a Gunter's chain is one-tenth of a furlong. Divide a Gunter's chain by 11, not 10, 11. These go to 11. One eleventh of a Gunter's chain is a fathom, which is how you describe imperial units, as in, I cannot fathom how people use these. There's a hundred fathoms to a cable, which is like a chain, but not Gunter's chain, because it's a cable and not a chain, and it's divided by ten, not eleven. Why? Standard reason, fuck you, that's why, but there's a hundred fathoms to a cable. If you take one foot and divide it into thirds, then you get a hand. Because obviously a hand is the third the size of a foot, because nobody in this period had ever seen a human body before. Half a hand is a stick, because metaphors break down at this magnitude. And half a stick is an inch, because at this point we've forgotten that we already used that one. Three of these inches together will give you a palm. Because again, biology isn't our strong suit, and a quarter of a palm, which is about 7% less than an inch, is a digit. Three digits is a nail, because we're freestyling now, and four nails gives you a span. Two spans make a cubit. One third of a cubit is a shaftment, which is a system of measurement based upon grabbing a spear or a halberd and measuring how much of the shaft you can grab at one time, don't be nasty. Five shaftments make an imperial pace, which if you've been paying attention, we've shifted from hands to feet without anyone knowing it, and this is different from the Roman and Egyptian paces because of reasons. Two paces will give you a step, even though logically a step and a pace are the same thing. Four steps makes a rope. Five ropes makes a Ramsden's chain, which is a totally different measurement to a Gunter's chain. They're completely different. 50 Ramsden's chains will get you a Roman mile. You get 80 Gunter's chains to the same distance. Is everyone following along? Because there are people out there who honestly believe that this system is better than the metric system. We have two different types of chain named after people, which are two different lengths, and nobody is questioning it. And for an extra fun fact, for 21 years, nobody in the world knew how long an inch, a yard, a foot, or whatever, nobody knew exactly how long these were supposed to be. In 1760, the British decided to get serious and define all of these things for realsies this time. So they made up a brass rod that was exactly a yard long. Three feet, 36 inches, five-eighths of a wedding dress, however you want to define it, they made a prototype that was what every yard, foot, and inch in the world was based on. If you were unsure, you could go and check this rod and get your bearings from that. And it was stored in the British Parliament. So this rod was kind of like the room temperature room in community. Feel that? Actually, I don't feel... Precisely. 
Have you heard the expression room temperature? Of course. This is the room. This is the room temperature room. In 1834, British Parliament burned down, and all of the standard units burned down with it. It took them 21 years of scientific bickering to get everyone to agree to a new measurement and create new prototypes, but in that intervening period, an inch was whatever the hell you wanted it to be, and nobody could legally tell you any different. And you might have thought that this here would be a fantastic opportunity to implement the metric system. Tabula rasa, as it were. But the problem was that metric was a French thing, and the English really don't like the French. So no metric. And that's why distances be like they do. It's the same nonsense with weights. Imperial weights are based upon whatever medieval alchemists used as their system of measurement. Ideally, in any society, you don't want alchemists to be coming up with your official measurements. Imagine walking into the laboratory slash oubliette of someone named Zanfar the Putrescent and asking him to come up with a standardized system of measurements for you. Hail and well met, Zanfar! What wonders of the alchemical arts do you bring us today? I have created a coyote with the face of a man! Uh, that's, um, that's great. We, we need one of those. Uh, anyway, when you're done with your coyote man, can you make some weights for us? Oh, I'll make your weights. I'll make your weights forever. <laughs> coyote weights. And that's basically how medieval weights were born. You go up to a crazy person transmuting lead into gold or making a bomb out of bat manure, and you ask him to come up with some standard measurements for you. Sure, blame the wizards. And do you want to guess what the unit of measurement they used was? The basic unit of measurement for weights? That's right, barleycorns. Is there anything they can't do? With those, I could open the gate of Garash. Specifically, the alchemists in the French city of Troyes came up with these barleycorn weights. And that's why the base unit of measurement was the Troy grain. It's how much grain weighed in the village of Troyes in France. If you want to be exact, a Troy grain is 0.0647989 of a gram. But these units don't really play nice with exact measurements. 24 troy grains will give you a penny weight, which is, shockingly, the weight of a penny. 480 troy grains make a troy ounce. 12 troy ounces make a troy pound, which is 373 grams, which was lighter and less ounces than an avoirdupois pound, which was used at the time as well. Avoirdupois is French for goods of weight, and it's what you use to measure things if you weren't keen on alchemists. You wanted a less crazy type person. Now, a pound is made up of eight drams in the avoirdupois system, but it's eight drachmae in the alchemical system, because the British monarchy didn't want people getting confused, because they're different weights. So you have a dram in the French system, and a drachmae in a different kind of French system, which we're using in England because of the Hundred Years' War, which we don't really have time to get into. A dram is made up of three scruples, which is Roman for pebbles. 
and a scruple is the equivalent of 20 grains. Grains of what? Who knows? Probably barley. And if we count grains into pounds, then an avoirdupois pound is 6,992 grains, whereas a troy pound is 5,760 grains. A troy pound is not to be confused with a trone pound, which was what they used in Scotland, and Jersey also had their own definition of a pound. At least four different cities laid claim to the title of pound town. I do hope everyone is still following along here. It's all elementary. And if anyone is curious as to why pounds are abbreviated as LB, it's because of Latin. The Romans used the pound as their base measurement, and they called it a libra, which means scales, just like the star sign, so libra, LB. 14 pounds will get you a stone. Maybe. It depends on where and when you were measuring things and which stone you were using. And that's why it's a stone. Things were measured with an actual stone. Not a standardized stone, no, just whatever rock, whatever merchant happened to be carrying at the time. In fact, the Bible has some rules on which stones merchants could use. Deuteronomy 25 has some things to say about shady merchants carrying different sized stones as weights and why that's naughty. Chapter 25 in Deuteronomy is all about mercantile rules and punishments, things like business practices, taxation, who you can sell your wife to and how much to charge for her, you know, usual business stuff. So today, we've settled on a stone being 14 pounds, or 97,888 grains. But throughout history, a stone was whatever you wanted it to be. If you were in London, it was 8 pounds. In Hertfordshire, a stone was 12 pounds. In Edinburgh, a stone was 16 pounds. It really depended on what you were selling and where you were selling it. In the 1300s, the Brits got all serious about this, and they actually had an assize about it, called the Assize of Weights and Measurements. An assize is basically like a parliament, but before there was a parliament, so it's where the king and the nobles all got together and officially hammered things out. And in the early 1300s, we don't know the exact date of it, the Assize of Weights and Measurements came up with an official weight guide for the stone. And it was thusly. If you were selling glass then a stone was 5 pounds. If you were selling wool, then a stone was 12.5 pounds. If you were selling almonds, cumin, sugar, pepper, nutmeg, or, quoting here, the issuance of a bee, then a stone was 8 pounds. I love the English priorities here. My liege, we are at war with the French. Methinks it shall all be over rather quickly. I can't see this stretching out for over a 100 years. But still, mayhap, you should take a look at the strategy. And then the king would reply, Fuck that! I'm busy inventing a rubric for bees! Never in my life did I imagine that I would take a path where I got to say a rubric for bees in a legitimate sentence, but I'm very pleased that the paths led here. So as you can see, imperial measurements are clearly idiot units. You can't have a non-standardized set of measurements made by medieval monarchs from totally arbitrary units and then expect to be able to measure anything with any kind of accuracy. Whenever someone says to me something in pounds or stones or inches or yards, my eyes just glaze over. I can't conceptualize these things. It's just too hard for my brain. It's like asking someone how their new exercise regime is going, and they reply, Oh, it's great, I'm really losing weight. This month I'm down three half-nagels and a squibbly-dop. 
It's just nonsense units. The only exception, as I previously said, is the nautical mile. A nautical mile is the meridian arc of one minute, or one sixtieth of a degree of latitude. So the basis for a nautical mile is the size of the Earth. You've got the equator, you've got the North Pole, you slice that up into manageable chunks, and brother, you got yourself a nautical mile. This is good. This is scientific. It's not based on an army marching or a king saying, I don't know, this long. There's some science involved. The nautical mile is a huge step forward. This kind of measurement, basing something off a known immutable quantity, is exactly the same process as used for the metric system's meter. They just go a different way about it. So it's scientific and it's awesome. You do get a problem with the fact that the Earth isn't a perfect sphere, so you get about 20 meters of wiggle room, but that's a degree of accuracy way more precise than some guy with a chain that he found in his backyard. So a nautical mile is good. And we currently define a nautical mile as 1,852 meters. So bravo, nautical mile. You're pegging one back for Team Imperial. But then they have to go and ruin all that good work. Three nautical miles is a league. Why not two, or five, or ten? Nope, three. Why? We don't know. It just is. And of course, everyone with a navy back in the day had a different definition of what both a nautical mile and a league were based upon their calculation of meridian arcs. So depending on whether you were English or French or Portuguese, you could be anywhere on the map. Honestly, it's impressive that anyone managed to find any new continents at all. One nautical mile per hour is a knot. The way that you would measure the speed of a boat back in the day, and we still do because sailors are a superstitious and ornery folk, to measure the speed of a boat you have a rope with knots tied into it every 47 feet and 3 inches. You throw this overboard attached to a chip log and let it play out, passing through a sailor's fingers, while another sailor timed it with a sand glass that went for exactly 28 seconds, and how quickly the rope played out was how fast the boat was going. You count the knots as the rope plays out. Why 47 feet and 3 inches? Why 28 seconds, not 30? We all know the answer to this now. So even when imperial measurements are on their best behavior, they're still stupid. Which is why today there are only three nations on Earth that still use them. Liberia, Myanmar, and the United States of America. The rest of the world uses the International System of Measurements, or SI, also known as the metric system, because it is, quite simply, objectively better. There are seven defining constants of the International System of Measurements, and these are the second for measuring time, the meter measuring length, the kilogram measuring mass, the ampere measuring electric current, the Kelvin measuring temperature, the Candela measuring luminous intensity, and the Mole measuring atomic particles. Together, they combine to form Voltron, the best way to measure anything. Voltron, I mean metric, is wonderful. Metric is definite. Metric is precise. Metric leaves no room for interpretation. Metric is absolute. Metric is powered by physics, and physics don't care about your feelings. Take the most basic unit, the meter. Meter literally means to measure. 
and for most of its history, the meter was exactly one forty millionth of the circumference of the Earth. The Earth ain't changing size, it's not changing shape, it's always there being the Earth, it's an absolute, you can measure based on that. If you've got a stick, some sunlight, and a basic understanding of mathematics, you can calculate that yourself, like Aristophanes did thousands of years ago, which I've previously covered in the show called The Calendar Battle. And if you're thinking 40 million, that's a bit weird, well, the measurement was actually simpler. There's an easier way to do it. You can reduce your equation. You divide the planet into quadrants, and you work it out from there. So the distance from the equator to the North Pole is 10 million meters, and then you just expand things out. And a meter is decimal. You can play with it in units of 10. This makes it easy. It scales infinitely in either direction, without any dramas, without any need for conversion or fractions. It's easy. You've got a meter, sure, but what if you want to be more precise than a meter? Well, what if I break that meter down into 10 smaller parts? Does that make it easier for you? That's a decimeter. Is that still not precise enough? Let's do it again. A centimeter. Still not enough? Let's do it again. A millimeter. You want to get more precise? You want to measure atoms and shit? We can break that down to nanometers. Is that still not small enough for you? We can break it down even more. How about a picometer? That's one trillionth of a meter. It scales easily. Those things don't rhyme. Things only rhyme below 10 to the minus 5 angstroms, you dope. What if you want to go in the other direction? What if a meter is too small for you? Well, 10 of those will get you a decameter. 10 of those will get you a hectometer. And 10 hectometers is a kilometer. And you can go even higher but we all kind of decided that a kilometer was plenty big enough and we just use that. So the meter is easy, it's accurate, it's brilliant. And then we found a way to make the meter even more precise. Like I said, the Earth isn't absolutely spherical, so there's a margin for error there. It's small, but there's still a margin for error. You know what doesn't have a margin for error? The universal constant. The universal constant is called the universal constant because it never, ever changes. It is, by definition, always exactly the same. The universal constant is the speed of light in a vacuum, or C, which is Latin for celere, speed. If you accelerate, you increase your speed. If you decelerate, you decrease your speed. Light doesn't do either of these things, though, because it's always at the speed of light. It never changes. And since we always know that light always travels at 299,792,458 meters per second, we always know exactly what a meter is. The meter will never, ever change. And we can use this exact meter to create other measurements, all backed by the all-conquering fiat currency of the speed of light in a vacuum. If you take a cube that is 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, you could call that 10 centimeters cubed. And if you were to fill that cube with water, then you would have exactly one liter of water. That's a measurement of liquid. And this measurement of liquids can then be scaled in decimals, the same as meters. So liquids are also measured based on the speed of light. And that same cube filled with water and at one atmosphere of pressure will be exactly one kilogram. So now we have a measurement for weights, too, all based on the inviolable rules of physics. If you need something measured with any form of accuracy at all, then you use metric. 
No matter how many grains are stacked by how many medieval kings, the speed of light is always going to be the speed of light. And we can use it for anything we want to measure. Do you want to know how fattening a donut is? Well, one calorie is the amount of energy needed to heat one kilogram of water, one Kelvin. Now I'm going to uh, burn this donut to show you how many calories it has. No! The bright blue flame indicates this was a particularly sweet donut. <laughs> this is not happening. This is not happening. It's all interchangeable. Incidentally, Kelvin is just like Celsius, only it starts at absolute zero, not the freezing point of water, which makes it an absolute scale, so we don't say degrees Kelvin, it's just Kelvin. So here's my final argument for the metric system and why the imperial system is dumb. Let's look at the benefits of the metric system. And let's use something that we're all familiar with, something everyone can relate to. Paper. We all know what paper is. We've all used paper. So the standard paper size we use here in Australia, and in most of the world, is the A4 standard. The A4 standard is, and this is going to blow your freaking minds here, based on the A4 sheet of paper. A4 paper is exactly 297 millimeters by 210 millimeters. A millimeter is, of course, a thousandth of a meter, and a meter is the distance light, the universal constant, travels in one second. Since this never, ever changes, no matter who the King of England is, a millimeter is always the same length. Ergo, a sheet of A4 paper will always be the same length. Now, 297 millimeters by 210 millimeters might seem a bit of a weird measurement. Why 297? Why not 300? Why wouldn't you round it up? It kind of seems like we're in barley corn territory here, right? Or are we? The measurement of an A4 sheet of paper isn't arbitrary, it's based on an equation. Buckle up everyone, here comes some dreaded mathematics! I'm afraid we need to use... math! Any A sheet of paper is 1 to the 2 to the power of A. So to put it simply, an A4 sheet of paper, the standard size, is exactly twice the size of an A5 sheet of paper, and it is exactly half the size of an A3 sheet of paper. Go on, experiment with this. Give it a crack. Get an A3 sheet of paper and cut it in half, or get two A5s and stick them together. They are both exactly the same size as an A4. International paper sizes scale perfectly. This is by design. Back in the day, the paper gods decreed that a great way to start would be to go with one meter squared, an exact measurement based on the speed of light in a vacuum. An A0 piece of paper is exactly one meter squared in volume. And then they halved it, and halved it again, and again, and once more, until they got to a paper which everyone agreed fit nicely on a desk. And that's how we got A4. And you can scale this infinitely in either direction, and your piece of paper will always have the same dimensions. It will always be twice the size of the paper under it and half the size of the one above it. The aspect ratio of A4 paper will always be the same. The length and the width never change ratio, even when they change size, and that ratio will always be the square root of 2. 
This ensures that cutting any paper in half will give you two of the sides below it, and putting any two together will bump you up a grade. Isn't metric beautiful? America, though, they need their freedom units. So their paper sizes are batshit fucking insane. I've done a fair bit of graphic design in my day, and you have no idea how much American paper sizes vex me. So let me introduce you to the insanity that is the American paper size. The standard American paper size is the so-called letter size piece of paper. This is 8.5 inches by 11 inches, so already we're not off to a great start, we're using barleycorns. There's no firm consensus on why the US letter paper size is that size. No one really knows, but the most prominent argument is that if you take a piece of paper that you've just printed off a sheet that's as long as somebody stretching their two arms out, and if you fold that in half, and if you fold that in half again, then you get something that looks good as a letter. That's how they decided the paper size. I'm not kidding, I'm not doing a bit. That's the exact statement made by the American Forest and Paper Association. You can look it up. Their paper size is based on a guy holding his arms out and saying, I don't know, this long? So you've got letter size. Great, sweet. But what if you're not writing a letter? Well, don't worry, America's Freedom Units has you covered. You've got government size paper. So when the government sends you a letter, it's half an inch smaller on both sides. Government size is smaller than letter size. These sizes were officially standardized by President Ronald Reagan. Reagan was famously anti-big government, so government paper size is smaller. I really wish I were making this up. Then there's ledger size, because God forbid you use a letter or government in a ledger. Imagine the confusion there, so you have to have a separate size for ledgers. You have tabloid, which is exactly the same size as ledger, but it's in landscape instead of portrait. So they just took ledger size, rotated it 90 degrees, and called that a different type of paper. There's legal, which is exactly the same width as your standard letter size, but there's an extra three inches on the bottom for all of that crazy fine print that you need to put in. And then there's junior legal. That's a little tooty sheet of paper, which is eight inches by five inches, and is, according to the comedian and mathematician Matt Parker, the paper you use when suing a child. Curse you, Matt Parker. I really wish I'd written that one. The A4 paper scale was planned from the beginning to be the mathematically correct way of defining the dimensions of paper. It's a beautiful, elegant equation that even brings in an irrational number just to show off. American paper systems were not designed at all because, I don't know, freedom. Oh, gotta have your freedom. Freedom units! Freedom units are obviously better than the communist metric system. Unless, of course, you want the freedom to put a letter-sized document in a ledger. You're not free to do that, but still, freedom! So why does the United States still cling to the insanely obtuse imperial system of measurements, despite them being clearly inferior, confusing, and mentally stunting? America! Land of the free! Home of the brave! Guns! Bald eagles! <coughs> apple pie! All that jingoism! You'd think that after fighting a couple of wars against the British, they'd want to get as far away from the crazy British measurements as they could. Did you guys appreciate me throwing the cry of a bald eagle in there to really drive home the metaphor? I know, it's a nice touch, isn't it? Except that wasn't a bald eagle. 
I'm willing to bet that most of you have never heard the cry of a bald eagle. Here, let's try an actual bald eagle cry. Yeah, that doesn't sound like an eagle, does it? You see, early on in the development of radio and later films with sound in them, sound engineers learned pretty quickly that bald eagles actually sound a bit piss-weak. The real cry of a bald eagle is what Mike Tyson sounds like compared to what Mike Tyson looks like. So these Hollywood types came to the conclusion that you can't have the symbol of America's manifest destiny sounding like it does, and that is why anytime you hear an eagle in fiction, it's actually the cry of a red-tailed hawk. So here's a bit of history for you. We all know that the United States and France were really chummy in the 18th century, helping each other with their revolutions and whatnot. And as part of this reciprocal aid, Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers, requested French assistance with the metrification of the newly minted United States. They were a brand new country, they wanted to get away from England as much as they could, and that meant abandoning the imperial system of measurements in favor of the vastly superior metric system. America was all set up to be metric. And France got Jefferson's letter and they agreed to help, and in 1793, they sent one of their more notable scientists, the famous botanist Joseph Dombey, on a mission to bring the metric system to the United States. And Joseph Dombey set off on a voyage to America with a priceless treasure. He carried with him a set of copper objects that looked fairly innocuous, but were worth a king's ransom. The copper objects he carried were prototypes. I don't mean prototype is in the first model of something. A prototype in this sense is a standard for a measurement. These were prototype measurements. They were what the measurements were based on. These copper blobs were the prime by which all other measurements were measured. Joseph Dombey carried with him exactly one kilogram and exactly one meter as determined with excruciating scientific precision by the best minds of Europe, manufactured to the strictest standards the world had to offer at the time, and so bloody difficult to make that there were only six of these sets in the entire world at the time. And Joseph Dombey was bringing one of these six sets to America to introduce the metric system there. Unfortunately for the world and the future, as soon as the ship-bearing Dombey hit the Caribbean, he was beset by pirates. English pirates. Now remember, Joseph Dombey was French. This is not a good combination. The pirates took Dombey prisoner and they spirited him away to the hidden pirate island of Montserrat, where Joseph Dombey ultimately died before he could be ransomed. And as a fun side note, this was hardly the first time that Joseph Dombey had been kidnapped by pirates in his lifetime. Dude did not have a good run. Joseph Dombey died, and his measures, his prototypes, were never delivered to the United States. And so the United States never adopted the metric system, instead sticking with the tried and true method of stacking grains together and calling it a day. And they still do that to this day. Although it should be said that as much as the US loves to rant and rave about their freedom units, they don't really use them, at least not when it matters. As mandated in their own laws, which were ratified in the mid-1800s, whenever you need to do something or make something or build something that people's lives and livelihoods depend on, so anything that actually matters, 
you damn well use the metric system to do it. So in America, if you're building a bridge or fighting a war or buying cocaine or shooting a missile with a sex fiend on it at the moon, you damn well use the metric system to do it. Nobody's shooting a missile with inches. They use precision measurements. And it's worth noting that right now, no matter where you are in the world, even in Liberia or Myanmar or even the United States, the official definition of an inch, the official standard by which all other inches in the world are measured, is exactly 25.4 millimeters. Yes, the inch is officially based on the metric system. Every inch is ultimately metric. So why are we still faffing about with inches and feet? They're all metric anyway. It's just an additional useless calculation that people have to do to appease the rubes and the hayseeds in America. People who would probably welcome a system of measurement based on the hayseed because my freedoms. It's time to drag all of them kicking and screaming into the 20th century. Let's rip that band-aid off and the whole world will be better off for it. So, Liberia, Myanmar, America, I'll take your inch and I'll give you a kilometer. And down the track, you'll all be happier for it. And that's why things be like they do. We've got two different... Go away, plane. So that's what the patrons get. Pretty slick, huh? They get one of these each and every month. So if that isn't worth the cost of a beverage, I don't know what is. And if you want to join in the fun, then you can head on over to patreon.com slash historygotime and go from there. There's stuff that we can do together. We'll have a lot of fun. It'll be great. You won't regret it. Trust me. And if you can, throw some love to some other creators on Patreon too. There are millions of independent creators doing awesome things independently, and we need all the help we can get. Independent art is crucial to society. I cannot stress this enough. Something like 90% of all commercial entertainment is in some way owned by the Disney Corporation. And that's why 90% of all commercial entertainment is absolutely shithouse. Because Disney makes shit. Marvel is shit now. Star Wars is shit now. Simpsons is shit now. It's all designed by committee and that never works. You need independence to get good art. And that only comes from the ground up. And Patreon helps make that happen. If you're still not into the whole Medici thing, I don't blame you. These are uncertain economic times, and I totes malotes get where you're coming from. So if you don't want to donate in a purely fiduciary manner, I totally get it. But I will ask this of you. If you have enjoyed what I do, might you consider, please, tickling the algorithm in my favor? It helps me immeasurably. Well, actually, it is quantifiable, but that quantity is quite a bit. It is at least three barley corns worth of assistance. The best way that you can help is by rating the show and leaving a review. If you can find the time in your day to do that, that is so amazingly super helpful. You seriously do not know how much that helps me out. And nothing boosts the algo 
like a review. Google absolutely eats that shit up. So if you could please leave a review, that would be so super awesome. Otherwise, liking and subscribing is also fantastic. Those are huge algorithm boosters right there. And if you can, please share the show on any social media platforms you happen to use. I cannot overstate how much that would help me. Case in point, not long back, a friend of mine shared the show to their Facebook page. That one share got 11 likes. Doesn't seem like much, right? But on the back of that one share... I got an extra 2,000 listeners just from Google and Facebook saying, hey, somebody is talking about this show. Let's put it in front of some people for a few minutes. That's how much these companies have us by the balls. We don't actually have the time to get into this right now, but if you have a Facebook fan page, then Facebook actually holds your own fans hostage and refuses to show them your posts until you pay Facebook money for promotion. That's literally their business model. I think Veritasium did a video on this a couple of years back if you'd like to know more, but they are holding your own audience hostage. But anyway, bumping the algorithm stops that for a couple of hours, and I would consider it a personal favor if you could help me out in that regard. I don't want to force anyone or guilt anyone into anything. I don't want fake likes here. I only want it if you feel that I have earned it. But I just wanted to let everyone know that this is how things work out there, because unless you're in the industry, there is absolutely no reason for you to know any of this. All right, trademark end of show ramble is done. Get out of here. Go and be the best that you can be. Peace out, everyone.